The scripture lesson for this morning is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Listen for the word of God. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. It is the office of a true teacher to show us that God is, not was, and that God speaks, not spoke. May this sermon, through God's grace, be such. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. As I've reflected over the years as to what it was that made the Presbyterian Church such a positive aspect of my life growing up, I realized that I was inspired by ministers that I knew as a teenager, which is to be expected. But the more I've reflected, the more I have come to realize that it has been the lay leaders of the congregation, elders and deacons in the Presbyterian Church, whose stories are more numerous and perhaps are more powerful in my own formation. In late elementary school in our small, close-knit congregation, I remember having a child's sense that a man in the church my parents respected and the minister of my church my parents respected could hardly be in the same room together without sparks flying between them. Now in that church, we also had an elder who stood at the door following each worship service and placed in the palm of the hand of every child who left, including me, Every child who made it through the service, a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint gum. I don't know what the dentist in the church thought, but we liked it. I remember my father telling me that an elder in the church had sat the two men down who couldn't get along not allowed either to leave the room until they aired, if not resolved, their differences. My hunch is that it was the gum-dispensing elder 
who did this. And I remember that the two men had in fact seemed to recover their voice and at least a grudging warmth toward one another later. An elder who took the initiative to resolve a difference between a minister and another elder. It made an impression on me. As a teenager in Memphis watching the civil rights movement unfold, I remember knowing that the president of the local chapter of the NAACP as well as the voice on the Memphis City Council that was most seeking to bring black and white together, that these two people were elders in their respective Presbyterian churches. I can remember to this day the names of women, some of whom I knew as their pastor when they were in their 70s or 80s, who were among the first elected as elders or deacons in their congregation once the Presbyterian Church opened the office of elder and deacon to women. I can remember their names to this day, Frankie Callis, Maud Kane, Hal, Elizabeth Crumboltz. I can remember Wooten Epps, a lanky man in his 70s who had been clerk of session for over 30 years, following in the footstep of his, footsteps of his own father who had been clerk of session for over 30 years in the small church in which I interned in the Arkansas Delta. A man of questionable racial views but who listened to the prophetic proddings of his pastor and who, though he did not change much himself, stepped aside so that change might come, all the while keeping the records of the church with meticulous detail. And I have seen elders and deacons in our congregation, Westminster, who with little fanfare and not known to many, give tremendous time and energy sometimes over several years to pave the way for a family from a land besieged to create a life in this country, to pave the way for a family from the neighborhood to have the opportunity to climb out of poverty, to pave the way for a senior citizen to spend the final years of life in a place of needed care, free from the burdens of a mortgage gone awry. Now because I get to preach more often than Casey, who left, and Patrick, <laughs> there she is. She's got a bad cough today, and this is an act of grace. Uh, but because I get to preach more than Patrick or Casey, I often get the first crack at good sermon material that comes from our observations or knowing of you. But several years ago, Patrick beat me to the punch, and he quoted from the speech one of our members gave upon retiring from a lifetime of service in the federal government. So I'm going to steal this speech back from Patrick today. It was several years ago when you all heard this. 
But this member, this elder of the church, of the Presbyterian Church USA and of Westminster, said to those who had gathered at the retirement party the following. Being the son of a preacher, I've grown up to feel that I should help people. So like many of you, I joined the federal government to help Being part of the federal government for 47 years has showed me that people working together can accomplish unimaginable things. Collectively, we can reach for the stars and land on the moon. Collectively, we can rescue people devastated by a hurricane. Collectively, we can improve our environment. Remember, this elder said, That only federal employees have been to the moon and to the bottom of the ocean and on the front line of fighting for freedom for others. Public service, this elder continued, is an honored vocation which few understand or appreciate, but which provides many exciting and rewarding opportunities to help others beyond our individual capabilities. The person who wrote this during those 47 years, I looked it up, was a member of our session four terms, three years each, 12 years spread out through those years. The passage we read today from the Bible is one of a dozen or so call narratives in the Old and New Testaments. A call narrative is an account, either in the first person or in the third person, of God calling an individual to a particular task. The passage we read today contains the call of Jeremiah to be a prophet. A call which occurred in 627 B.C., and which led Jeremiah into the difficult life of being a prophet for the next 40 years. Now, call narratives often have the same pattern, a pattern we see in Jeremiah's call. An introductory word, the word of the Lord came to me. A commission from God, I appointed you, Jeremiah, to be a prophet to the nations. Objection on the part of one being called, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. Then reassurance on the part of God, do not be afraid, for I am with you. And finally, often a sign from God, the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words into your mouth. I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Within this overall pattern of Jeremiah's call, there are three elements to which I want to point briefly today as we gather to ordain leaders, officers, elders, and deacons for our congregation. First, I'd like you to notice the body part in this passage. For Jeremiah, the call involves the mouth. 
the organ of speaking, the organ of proclaiming, the organ in Jeremiah's case of bringing words that are sometimes critical, sometimes demanding, sometimes healing and hopeful, and yet always from God. Everyone being ordained or installed today is an elder or deacon at Westminster, as well as everyone who is currently serving on the session or board of deacons, as well as the many of you all who at some time in your life have served as an elder or deacon in the Presbyterian Church. Everyone who's an officer has a particular part of who we are that God uses. For some, it is speaking. For some, it is working with the hands. For some, it is cooking meals or transporting people to worship or to medical appointments. For some, it is nurturing the church's finances or nurturing the church's children. For some, it is joining others in making decisions, sometimes hard, sometimes path-breaking, oftentimes routine. To the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul wrote, You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Then Paul asks, Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to these rapid-fire rhetorical questions is obviously no. Not all are teachers, not all are prophets, not all work miracles, but some do. And then Paul says, strive for the greater gifts. Strive. And I will show you a more excellent way. For Jeremiah, the organ of service was was the mouth. He spoke words God gave him to speak wherever they led. Think and pray whether you are an elder or a deacon or a member of Westminster. What is it within you that God has given you to use? Maybe it is the heart. Maybe it is the hands. Maybe it is the mind. But whatever it is, give it back to God. Let God use it. God will. Second, I ask you to notice Jeremiah's task. To pluck up and pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. To pluck up, to pull down, to overthrow. Jeremiah had an enormously difficult task. He spent most of his life critiquing his own people, the people of Judah, for their abandonment of their trust in God in favor of their trust in their own piety, their own temple worship, even the power of their own rulers. And then when they were carried off into exile, as a result of their false trust, Jeremiah was carried off with them. Only after years of hard work, of critique, of plucking up and of pulling down, 
did Jeremiah then get to speak words of building and planting. Toward the end of his work as a prophet, he finally had the privilege of saying, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. They will be my God and I will be their people. I sincerely hope that the work of the elders and deacons that we ordain today doesn't involve a whole lot of plucking up or pulling down. And I certainly hope it doesn't involve much destroying or overthrowing. I doubt that it will. But even when such becomes the task of leaders of the church, that task always occurs as it did for Jeremiah in the context of God's commitment to God's people then and now. The final word from God in Jeremiah's call is to build up and to plant. My prayer is that most of what we do as a congregation, most of what our leaders do as session and deacons, is to build up and to plant. And finally, notice the scope of Jeremiah's call. Today I appoint you, Jeremiah, over nations and kingdoms. As officers, as elders and deacons, we are not just responsible for this little corner of the kingdom of God known as Westminster Presbyterian Church, as temptingly easy as that might seem. We have a role to all that which is around us and all that of which we are a part. The neighborhood, the city of Alexandria and Arlington and McLean, the other cities from which we come, the city across the river in which many of us work and from which a few of us are able eloquently to retire, the presbytery of which we are a part, the denomination which is in our name, the Reformed tradition which shapes our theology and our worship, the mainline expression of Christianity about which so much is being written today, almost all of it obituarial in nature with very little resolution. And even Christianity itself, which has begun to struggle for life in our culture. One of the joys and privileges of this congregation is living beyond our four walls, thinking about politics and economics and social issues and race and class and diplomacy and defense. Thinking about life on a reservation in North Dakota and life in an orphanage in Kenya. Thinking about people in our own community who need housing and food and medical care. Thinking, thinking, thinking. And doing, doing as well. Today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms. Nations and kingdoms. Our elder said, people working together can accomplish unimaginable things.
They can. We will.